Hi, this is uh, Two Teachers Talking, and uh, this is uh, Tony Silva in Osaka. And Charles Wiz in Osaka. And we are two ragged survivors of our first week of the semester. Yes, ragged is a good term. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, today we'll be talking about uh, what's involved in that survival and um, kind of looking back at the things that we do at the beginning of each year, each semester, uh, some of the things that are right and some of the things that are wrong and some of the mistakes that we seem to make year after year. Yeah, yeah, the same one. I did it again, Tony. I burned out on the first day. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that the way it goes? Isn't that the way it goes? Um, one again, one of the things that I just cannot get right is um, keeping in mind at the beginning of that first week to pace myself so that I've got something left by the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was exhausted after the first class. And then I was even more exhausted after the second class, <laughs> and I was really well. It, it's, and it, it's hard to avoid, right? Because because we've we've been on vacation for uh, you know, a long time, you know, almost two months or about two months, and uh, a lot of that um, pent up. It doesn't feel like it at the time until you walk into the classroom. All that pent up energy is there, and uh, again, that, that again, you know, long term teachers, you have that, that thrill, I guess, of mm. being in front of the class. And um, boy, by the end of the first day, I'm, I'm asking myself, how do I do this? Because <laughs> extrapolating what I might feel like by Friday after after the first day Monday is like, I'm not going to make it. Right. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel. Um, and we should point out that when we say we're on vacation for a couple of months, it doesn't it means actually out of the classroom. It doesn't, it doesn't I don't know. Um, good, any, good idea. Definition of terms there. Definition right, of terms. Right. It just means out of the classroom, still working, looking at stuff, thinking through things, planning. But yeah, it's. I think it's a combination of the thrill of being back, which is really true. I think you, you hit that really accurately, is there's a real thrill to be in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been teaching what both of us, and we always say, say this, more than 20 years. Right. But, you know, that first day back is always a thrill. It's a rush. Yeah. And uh, also trying to create that really kind of energetic, dynamic atmosphere. Um, and so, right, you're running into the class. What are you doing on that first day? What kind of a dynamic are you trying to create? What kind of atmosphere are you trying to create? Well, I think the, 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 it's, it's very important that first day, I mean, just to restate a little bit, it's, um, it's so critically important. Um, you know, the scientific studies about first impressions is that you're notwithstanding. And they do say, you know, first impressions are made in the first 10, seven seconds, 10 seconds. And uh, uh, I will mention again at some point later on the, uh, the research study of one of my colleagues who said that uh, she, you know, she studied the uh, student's impression of the class after the first class and then again at the end of the class. And there was virtually no change. Student that's to the student. end of the term, right? Right. Not the first class. It's from, Well, comparing the two. Right. And that's like immediate, wasn't it? That as right. soon as that teacher walked into the classroom, they actually gave the students the evaluation form? Right. It was at the very beginning. So the, the students either make their minds up you know, in the first couple of seconds or, you know, they've got, they've got a certain predisposition toward, you know, the class or English as a whole. But... Um, it you know it meshes with most of the the scientific studies that have been done that that first impressions are made almost immediately, right? And, and it's really hard to overcome that. 
Right. I think that also works in job interviews, doesn't it? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so make sure your tie is tied if you're a I guy, I think we right? know that from, from both ends, both sides of the table there. Actually, yeah, because yeah. I think that happened when um, a few years ago when I met you, right? Mm. We were introduced through a third party for working at a, a program, and I think you and I just immediately hit it off. Yeah. yeah. Right? So that's very true. So you're walking in. The students are making an immediate decision about you, but you're still trying to create a certain kind of vibe, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's, got, and it's got to be totally conscious, and it's got to be something that, that you are in control of. Because everything that you do in those first couple of minutes, couple of seconds, makes a difference. Um, and for me, what I try to do is, long-term, big picture, is to create an uh, environment in the classroom, a place, a space, a time, um, that is non-threatening because uh, for a lot of the students that uh, that I teach, uh, a lot of them are first-year students, and it's their first uh, experience with a. Uh, for many of them, first experience with a native teacher. Um, they uh, have been, you know, uh, frightened by the university entrance exams about English and about making mistakes and so forth and so on. Um, a lot of them have very limited experience with non-Japanese of any kind, let alone a teacher, where there's going to be, you know, fairly intimate face-to-face -face, uh, communication, um, the the kids are, are pretty wound up. And uh, so what I try to do on the first day, and actually for the first several weeks, is to try to reinforce that idea that this is a, this is a safe spot. This is, this mm. is, you know, this is someplace where you can relax. And um, for a lot of and for a lot of practical reasons um, that come later on, you know, with um, you know just you know language acquisition, but to create a safe, non-threatening uh, environment, on the, at least on that first day. Yeah, I completely agree with you that um, you know the um, students are nervous. <laughs> There's many of them have not had any experience really with a foreigner, or if they have, it's been maybe a someone who's come into class once a month at the most, and there's been their Japanese teacher who's their English teacher is present. In fact, I know that every year my first class that I teach usually will, um, will be a first-year class, and it's the first university class for these students. And they're starting off with a foreign teacher as their <clears throat> first classroom experience in the university. <laughs> So, but that, that's that's real nice, though, isn't it? I mean, when you get them totally fresh like that, it's 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 a very different thing from the last class on Friday. Uh, it's very true. And I <laughs> constantly joke with my students where I'll say, you know, it's really exciting. College is really thrilling, right? And this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they're yeah, it's really exciting. I said, wait till May. <laughs> and I tell my second year students, I'll ask them. I said, do you remember how a year ago you were really thrilled about being in college and how exciting it was? And they all laugh. But specifically, what are the real things you're doing to, when you walk into a classroom? On, to really create that dynamic on that first day and, you know, that we've gotten through this first week. Um, how did it go? What did you do? What worked? What didn't? Okay. Well, the first thing you do is when you put your hand on the doorknob, you have to imagine yourself as being 10 or 20 years younger <laughs> <laughs> and kind of bound into that classroom oh, with oh, a yes. whole lot more energy than you've had in a long time. Um, 
And uh, again, we talked about, a little bit before about it, about the importance of the smile, especially in Japan. Mm. Um, the smile is a very important social cue uh, for them, and, and they, they, they pick up on it right away. Yeah. Maybe some of them have never seen their teachers smile, actually. Yeah. yeah. Right. I walk in with a really big smile, and I always time my entrance. Right. I try to walk in exactly when the class is starting. Oh, okay. Right. I like to do that. So it's kind of like an entrance. It's almost a theatrical entrance. Mm -hmm. I walk in, as you say, bounding in with a lot of energy. Um, happy to be in the classroom anyhow, but a big smile on my face and a big hello, welcome to English. Yeah, because if, if you walk in and you look like you're having fun, they will they will pick up on that right away. And it, mm. and again, the importance of that very first impression, that's, some, that's something that an investment that pays off in the mm. long run, in spades. It really, it really pays off. Okay, so walk in with a smile. What comes next? Okay. Well, we talk a, a lot about, well, it's funny about the talking thing. Usually the, you know, one of the worst things a teacher can do is just start talking too much. And, uh, you know, those first classes, it's, I don't know that it's hard, that it's possible to do that without talking too much. I mean, too much is, is, is required. I mean, it, it's a lot of talking, which, which contributes to that fatigue we were talking about a little while ago. Right. But, exactly. But, you know, in terms of what I'm saying, what I'm doing, um, uh, I emphasize the fact that you know this space is theirs, that it's um, it's their class and not my class, and we're there because of them, not because of me. Uh, we talk about uh, what follows from that fact, right? The fact that that it's their class, that the fact that we're there for the same reason, we're not there for me to teach, we're there for them to learn. Uh, the fact that there, I have almost you know classroom rules which unsettles them a little bit until I, you know, explain and give them examples and say that the only thing that um, I'll come down on them for is, uh, you know, keeping somebody else from learning, keeping somebody else from studying. Mm -hmm. um, uh, talk about, yeah, a lot about the freedoms, right? Along with the responsibilities, uh, the idea of, you know, leaving the classroom, um, the cell phones, the fact that, um, yeah, you're you're adults now, and this is this this is not my class. It's your class. You can leave whenever you want. There's no lock on the door. It's not a kindergarten. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that, yeah, you, a phone on your desk is fine. I mean, a lot of them are smartphones. Uh, a lot of them are their dictionaries, um, mm -hmm. and, and some of them might be looking, you know, grabbing information for discussion in, in you know whatever the task might be. So, we'll talk about. All of those things, um, you know, again, trying to emphasize the fact that uh, we're there for the same reason and at all costs, and I guess it's a mistake that a lot of maybe maybe less experienced and maybe not so less experienced teachers make, you know, avoid creating uh, an adversarial relationship with your class. Yeah, I'm, I'm always amazed by that because I think that you and I have a very similar approach. I go through my rules which are actually suggestions. Do your best. Don't worry about mistakes. Um, and that I trust you. So mm -hmm. that you, I ask how many students have smartphones, and now it's easily half the class. I t ask the students how many of them have dictionaries on, in their phones, and almost the entire class answer you know, raises their hand. And I say, use your dictionaries. Use the technology. It's 
telling students not to use their cell phones, I think, is similar to telling a student, don't open your laptop that you've brought to class. So there's that and that I, I trust them that they will be using their phones for the right reasons. I also tell them, hey, if you get an important phone call, I trust that you'll answer it. And you won't answer just a, a email message from a friend that's not important. Same thing about going out of the classroom. I teach them, would you excuse me, please, on the first day? And that, you know, feel free to leave the classroom. I do not have control over your body. This is university and you are adults. So I, I think I completely agree with you because I know some other schools where there are teachers who immediately will go through rules that come from a perspective of not trusting the student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's the key is that when you walk into that classroom, not only do you have to smile and have that energy, but you have to walk in with, I trust you. Oh, absolutely. You have to, your basis has to be benefit of the doubt. You can't go in there and assume that they're going to be, um, you know, trying to cut corners, trying to cheat, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. If you, right. if you go in there with that kind of thinking, you're kind of sunk from the beginning. Yeah, and I think that you give them motivation to cheat if you start from that perspective. Yeah, um, it's it's almost unavoidable. I mean, because you you've you've created that dichotomy, you've created that duality, and it's once you've done that, it's hard for them to do anything else. That's very very true. I know that it doesn't usually work on the first day, but pretty much by the third or fourth day after they've been in class and they've had maybe some other language teachers. And I really think it's language teachers who are the strictest about late, being late, where teachers will say, if you're more than 10 or 15 minutes late, that equals an absence. Some teachers I know even actually lock the door and will not allow students into the classroom. Although this is, seems to be declining, but I just tell students, look, if you're 15 minutes late, I write down 15 minutes late. And when all your lates equal 90 minutes, which is one class, then you have one absence. So please come and I tell them, no matter how late you are, I will always say to you, thank you for coming because 10 minutes is better than zero minutes. Yeah, and, and what, it's what could amazing, be better than that, right? It's yeah. amazing to watch their eyes light up. You know, they pick up on those things. So, okay, walk in with a smile, a lot of energy, create a very positive relationship in the sense that we are working together, um, trust them, um, treat them like adults. Anything else you're trying to get going that uh, first I'm, day? I'm still, I'm still kind of hung up on that idea of locking the door. What, what kind of message does that tell your class? Jeez. Well, you, you know people <laughs> who do that, don't you? What's that? You know people who, you know people who do that, right? I, I I don't I, I've heard the story and I've heard it mentioned. I don't know personally. I don't think, or maybe I blocked it. But that anyone who actually locks the door, <clears throat> I know that someone has told me firsthand that they've done that. But I don't. Luckily, I don't remember who that was. <clears throat> yeah, I I, I know Amazing. of some people. I heard about it a few years ago. But I always kept asking the teachers, "How do you lock the door?" <laughs> <laughs> I have no locks on my door, so. But the yeah. idea that, you know, if you're 15 minutes late or 20 minutes late, it, or any amount of lateness equals an absence, what you really are telling the student, right? There's no reason to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and if you really are serious about... Yeah, to create all these, ar these artificial reasons for, the, for them to be there. Right. And what I try to do is I tell students, look, usually there's a quiz within the first 10 minutes of class. And if you miss that quiz, it's not really made up. It can't be made up. And you can do things like that, sure, I think. Sure, 
right, to give them the incentive. But as I said, I'd rather have a student come in for 15 minutes than zero minutes. Yeah, yeah, of course. Anyway, so okay, so, so okay, other things. Um, the other thing I think that's, and it may be more important in Japan than than in other places, uh, is to um, really get kind of get the idea. And, and with all of this, it's it's all about getting the idea across because you know it's our first time meeting the students. We're talking, and we're never a hundred percent, anywhere near a hundred percent sure uh, of how much the students are actually getting. Yes, uh, they'll, they'll be sitting straight up in their desk with their eyes saucer saucer big, and looks as if they're following every word. But you have no accurate way of telling what's what's getting through to the other side. So, try to get the idea across that you know, in, in keeping with that non-threatening environment. That, um, in contrast to almost every other you know traditional Japanese educational environment, uh, things like an answer like tell them that the answer I don't know is a good answer in this classroom. Mm. Um, the fact that you don't know that you don't know something is, is it's not something that's going to upset me that you, that you know it defeats the whole purpose of what school is, right? I mean, obviously if the student and I explain this to them and try to that if you know the answer to every question that I ask, well, there's obviously something wrong. Um, either, you know, you should be a teacher or I'm teaching at much too low a level because ordinarily we go to school because we want to learn things and if you already know everything that I'm trying to teach, then we're kind of both wasting our time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, emphasize the fact that I'm not going to, which is their expectation, that I'm going to be angry, I'm going to be upset if they don't know something. Or if the worst sin of all, they make a mistake. They give, yes, the, yes, they give you yes. the wrong answer. I mean, that is such a huge fear. And as I explained, it's like, this is your worst nightmare. You come to class, it's your first day, it's a foreign teacher, and he's going to come up to your desk, and I walk up to a desk, and he's ask a question. Is you give the wrong answer, and of course you get giggles and titters all over through the through the class. But it's 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 reality here. Um, the, the, that is one of the reasons why you know stereotypically, when you ask a class a question, no one will put their hand up. <laughs> I mean, at, the, at least the beginning of the year. Hopefully, that's one of the things that we try to uh, teach them to do. Right. Oh, that's a lot of actually, that's drilling. And I know that people feel that drilling is really <laughs> bad, but I have to train my students to offer up an answer uh, to a question that they feel either they don't know the answer 100% or it might be a mistake. And it take, you have to train Japanese yes. students to do that. Yeah. Uh, and you do that in one way. One very concrete way to do that is by asking very open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of the Socratic uh, kind of approach in, if I'm teaching a content-based course, I try not to give mm-hmm. them any information, but what I'll do, especially on the first day, is teach them how I put them into groups, for example, right? By counting off and mixing mm-hmm. them up so that they're not seated in their original place and now they have to do their introductions and then give them a question as a group to come up with an answer. And... Mm-hmm. Oh well, Let that's key though. That, that's that. a, that's a very different thing. We, if you give, give them the option to come up with an answer as a group, they'll do very, very well. Right. It's it's, to, that, it's that it's that paralysis, sorry, paralysis that deer in the headlights thing with it requires an individual answer that really is hard to overcome. And I always try to avoid asking individual students for answers on the mm. first day. 
Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Right. Unless, of course, I'm using it as going back to what you said is I'm going through my course description or I'm explaining something. And as you say, everybody seems like they're understanding. And I'll look for one little, those little keys of understanding. Somebody's writing something down. Maybe I think you pointed out you tell a joke and somebody laughs or giggles. You see how many people laugh. Exactly. Right. And maybe I might. After being convinced that somebody has gotten everything, I might check with one student who looks confident and looks like they're a little bit leaning forward, paying much more attention or a little bit more attention. But right, there are different ways to do that. So we're training our class, but we're also trying to read them on the first day to see how much they're understanding. That's and that, that, it's good. It's good thing to mention too that there's this training that you're talking about. This is not something that's accomplished on the first day. This is something that takes weeks. Um, 14, 15 weeks. And, <laughs> and then that's the last day of class. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is the real, real pill of these uh, one semester classes, right? Yes. That, yes. that built-in inefficiency and that incredible waste. Just when I'm getting them really to know how to work together and they're working the way that I want them to work. I've got my dynamic going. It's the last day of class. And then, by the way, how long does it take you to get your students actually to work the way you want them to work? Uh, uh, Of course, a lot depends on class to class and things. But I think it probably takes about four weeks, five weeks. And how much of your class time is spent getting them actually to learn how to work together? It's it's so integrated with the rest of it, it, it's kind of hard to say. But I would guess that it's probably around 20%. percent mm and you have, I think you probably do what I do is I make sure that my activities that I'm doing and the discussions in the first few weeks are actually the training discussions. Yeah, exactly. That's why it was hard for me to answer that question because, you know, with those activities, especially at the very beginning, um, you're looking for things that, you know, not only you're going to have, you know, the, the language benefits, but also, as you just said, training the kids in, into doing the things that, well, one, that you want them to do, but two, hopefully those are the same things that uh, help learning, right, in the future, right. right, help them learn it. Right, because most of them don't really know how to work collaboratively. Right. And it's a funny aside. I was uh, talking with a friend, maybe, Tony, maybe it was you, but I think there was a teacher, and we were talking about the fact how modern teaching theory was really collaboratively based, right? Mm-hmm. And 20 years ago, this would have been called cheating. Mm. <laughs> And I find that really interesting because I have to tell my students, do your homework together. That's okay. Don't copy, but do the homework together. Work with each other. And I I try to create homework assignments that will do that, Mm -hmm. right? Get them working with each other. But that's always a hard thing to do. Mm. So what about um, when you go into a class and the class is really quiet? You have one of those... um, it's one of those classroom personalities, right? And that's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. Different personalities of classes. But sometimes you walk into a class and it's just a lot of quiet, reticent, shy students. What do you do in that situation? I don't know. <laughs> you kind of... Jesus, sensei, I don't know. Um, a lot depends on... I mean, you have to do like a very fast read and try and figure out what it is that that's 
creating it? I mean, you, you, there's a whole lot of factors that you really don't know. I mean, what what class did these kids just walk out of? What you know, what, what nightmare did they just experience? Before, you know, in the period before yours, um, is it something? Is something like that? Is it experiential? Um, are they? Is it the end of the day? Are they just dead tired? Or is it a case of that, that class personality that, that can change so much? Let's, let's assume that it's the, 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 the last of those, that it's just uh, the intrinsic part of this class personality, that's just a quiet group. Right. Um, if, you, if you're really getting like that little response, especially, again, on the first day, it's, it's, it's usually us that's doing most of the talking. But you mm. can sense um, when, you know, when they're being, if they're going to be a reticent bunch. Um, I think that's the point where, you know, first day or not, you kind of reach into your bag and pull out uh, a community game, something. I mean, I know I um, find some who said who is one of them. I've got right. a, uh, a, li- um, a con- con- combination memory introduction game um, that uh, that I'll, I'll play. But, yeah, you want to you don't want to go too long in the classroom with that. Atmosphere, that, that atmosphere of silence because if you go through that whole first period without somehow breaking it then you're going to you're kind of going to be stuck with it i think yeah that's a good reason why on a first day even though you have to talk a lot about the rules and explain things you have to get them talking with each other mm-hmm. i think on the first day no matter what kind of class it is even if it's a reading class or a writing class or a listening class, especially for the communication classes, oral communication, you've got to get them talking with each other. And any activity that does that, and of course, as you mentioned, find someone who always works and gets them talking with each other. And it's also a great activity to observe their levels because Mm -hmm. some students will start defaulting to Japanese right away. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you can watch the students who just put their papers together and copy down the answers, <laughs> right? Which is, again, it's how they've actually been taught to complete sure, tasks. Sure, sure. And then there are the other students who you see completely struggling with English but never going to Japanese. Some students are more fluent. It's a great way to observe because you can see it from afar. Mm-hmm. And I always try to stay far away from my students on the first day when they are talking with each other because the last thing in the world they need is this, you know, teacher hunkering over them. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, when they're doing that, find someone who just try to get close. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think, right. They're like, they're like guppies. Yeah. You, it's, you it's, put it's your a, hand in the tank and they immediately go to the other yeah. side. It's really true. It's really true. It's, it's humorous. It's, that's something I start off with every year and I always say – Within 10 to 12 minutes, they will be at the physically furthest point away from me in the classroom. And it never fails to work. It's, it's, and it's just very funny. sometimes I will position myself actually in the back of the classroom. Oh, in, yeah. It's a, in the it's corner. A, it's the perfect and, way to get them to go to the front of the room if you just and sit Exactly. Back. They will be all <laughs> hud- you know, hud- huddling around my desk or something. And if I move to the different corner, within a few minutes, they'll shift away. It's a manifestation of that fear of making a mistake. They don't want to hear you. You make them making a mistake. You know, I don't know if also if it's a fear of making a mistake. It, I think it is, but it's also um, they don't want to be monitored. Mm-hmm. I know that when people monitor my speech, ah, we, one of our topics will be classroom observation. Mm. You know, if somebody comes in and is watching your classroom monitoring you, you are not the same teacher. Right. 
even yeah, though I have close. a lot of I have a lot of confidence and I've been doing this for a long time. My jokes are a little more, um, let's say, toned down. They're not the usual kind. But the students, you know, they're like us. They don't want to be monitored. And they're that t- is shown to you. It's indicated to you by they're going to the opposite end of the classroom. Mm-hmm. But, Tony, something I want to go back to, I think, that you said that's really important, and it's the biggest mistake of beginning <clears throat> teachers is when we were talking about why they're shy, right? Mm -hmm. And you said that you have no idea what they've just experienced or what's going on. And the last possibility is that they're just a shy group, a shy class, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea that anything you see should be assumed to be a symptom, not a cause. Mm -hmm. You know, I think teachers who get angry at students who are sleeping in class for example. Okay, yeah, good example. A, right? You know, you have no idea. I think we've talked about this before mm-hmm. that you go in and you look at a student and you kind of feel upset that the student's always sleeping in your class and then you find out that that student is working a part-time job not because they need spending money, but because they need the money to get themselves through school. Their family doesn't have enough money to put them through school. Yeah. And there you are, you know, the students going to classes and then working from let's say 6 in the evening maybe to 2 in the morning. <laughs> And getting on average five hours of sleep, or especially in Japan, club activities, right? I know so many students who are sleep-deprived because of their club activities. Oh, sure, especially the beginning of the second semester when students here traditionally are all gearing up for their university festivals. September, mm, October, uh, you really can't schedule much <laughs> work. that in, anywhere, Anything in class that involves a lot of out-of-class preparation or work because um, they just don't have the clock time. Exactly. Okay, so I have I have two things that, you know, in uh, you know in relation to this exactly about you know things that you don't know. Um, two things that happened this week. Uh, the first one was uh, it's kind of small, but it, it's it underscores what the the point that you made. Um, I had a kid who came to me in the afternoon, and I guess she was she was supposed to be in one of my morning classes, first class, and she comes in very apologetic. She, you know, of course speaking in Japanese and this is well so, you know, you're, we, you weren't in class I'm not gonna crank you for for not um, speaking to me in English but she's um, obviously upset and she says you know I'm sorry I missed your first day of class and he says I you know and she says I she says well I just found out that the doctor told my mother that she's got one week <laughs> and I go oh, oh. well <laughs> okay and Again, I mean, if this if the student had been in class and had been distracted or not paying attention or, God forbid, quiet, um, you know, I could have very easily have made that same stupid mistake of like, you know, getting, just adding more pressure onto the student and making this like, without question, the worst day of her life. Good point. And so, yeah, you always have to be careful about uh, what might be out there. Uh, uh, Especially if you, I think, are in Asia, especially because I know that I didn't, years and years ago, I was teaching at a school and I didn't find out until the end of the year that one of my students had both their parents die within four months, (sighs) right? One parent died of cancer and then the other parent died in a car accident Mm -hmm. and the student told me nothing. Mm -hmm. They were quiet, but there was no indication of anything. So the idea of trying to not judge them yeah and they, they they so often keep all of that so private you know certainly, right. certainly they don't share that with the teacher 
Right. And that's actually something I do on the first day is I talk about my wife. I talk about my daughter. Um, I don't talk about myself that mm -hmm. much. I've stopped giving my bios in the beginning, how I got to Japan, how long I've been here. But I'll tell a little story about my wife. My favorite one is when I ask them, I'll say, I know this always happens. I'll ask a question. And there'll be silence. And I'll say, excuse me, are you angry with me? And they look at me and I say, well, you know, when I upset my wife, she doesn't talk to me. <laughs> and I tell you know a little story about how my wife will not talk to me when she's angry, or I'll tell a little story about my daughter, and I start sharing with them little things in story form. Mm. And mm. I also do that, again, I think that's an important thing, is to get them used to a little story at the beginning of class. Mm. I like mm. to start every class with about a three-minute little warm-up story about something that happened on the train, for example, or something that happened the evening before with my daughter. And I especially love to tell them the little cross-cultural mistakes mm, exactly. and things. Sto oh, yes, exactly. Stories are great, and stories about mistakes are great. Yes, and all my stories basically involve a mistake <laughs> that I have made. And that's exactly the reason for that, is to let them know that I make mistakes, and they always laugh at my mistakes. And it'll be something that is unbelievably stupid that I've done, you know, a complete misreading of something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that we're going back to the key thing on that first day is getting them to be okay with mistakes, getting them to be okay not knowing the answers, right? So I think we go in and yeah. do the same thing on the first day. But yeah. you had mentioned, I think, the other day also that you said you had another um, student who just started crying on the first day in class. Yeah, and I was just going to get to that. Let's talk about, um, yeah, it's like not, and I, you know, I can't say, you know, with all my due modesty, I can't say that this was my mistake. Um, it was a, a reading writing class. And uh, so unlike a lot of our speaking classes, there wasn't a lot of chance for, you know, interaction and communicative activities or observing the students in those like for example in the game context um talked you know a little bit about you know the the environment you know what we talked about today just a little bit earlier and then it's just not un, unusual in a in a writing class and this, this is a combination reading writing um have them had them gave them a, you know, a short little impromptu things so i can get a real sense of their level um you know just a short uh news article uh, not from a newspaper, from a textbook, so it wasn't that difficult. It was for, appropriate for the level that the university told me the students were. And in fact, <clears throat> most of the students were able to do it just fine. Uh, I, there was a short article and uh, uh, some, some very short questions about the article itself, uh, maybe two, and then you know, summarize the article, and then a few questions about what kind of reading they wanted to do, what kind of writing they wanted to do in the in the class. <clears throat> and um, you know, I kind of left them alone again, as you said, didn't get didn't get down too close to them, let them work. Um, kind of walked around the perimeter a little bit, told them if they could work together, told them if they could ask me questions, etc. So I didn't really notice until toward the very end, I walked around one student and noticed that. Uh, his paper was blank, and I says, "Oh well, uh, this guy's this guy's having a hard time." So I asked him, "I say, hey, you know, hey, what's going on?" And he looks up at me, and he just starts crying, wow. and explains to me in Japanese. He's like, "I don't understand anything. I don't understand English at all." Um, and I says, "Whoa!" And 
then looked at, um, you know, just like, well, I need to check this out to see how, how big of a problem this is. I started walking around the room and, and everybody else seemed to be doing pretty well. And in fact, um, one of the questions was, okay, was this, they have four choices. This article, was it, was it too easy? Was it easy? Was it a little difficult? Was it too difficult? And all, uh, among the other students, all of them said it was either a little easy or a little difficult. So the, for whatever level this was supposed to have been, uh, it was appropriate. It was close. Um, the, the sad part about this is, okay, I, I said to the kid that he can go talk to Kilmuka about the, you know, the, the education department about switching to a lower level class. Um, but I also, because the kid was so upset, I contacted the director and I said, you know, I've got this kid, he's got a problem. He was, his performance is much below anybody else's in the class. And I think it'd be a really good day, a good idea to switch him to a, a lower level class if possible. Well, the director did not agree, uh, uh, based on his ba- based on his test scores on the uh, the the Senta exam and the uh, follow up exam that the university does. Uh, he's in the right class. Yeah, well, that's a whole other yeah. hour and a half, two hour discussion. Right. I don't but know you, how. but those things come up. Yeah, what do you do with something like that? I mean, it's it's your first day, and you're trying to make this a, a safe, secure environment where people can feel free and relax. And you've got a kid crying, mm. uh, in, and he wasn't in the back; he was in the front row, which means he's highly motivated, right? Unless, yeah. of course, it was me. But I always sat in the back row. Of course, I always sat in the back, close to yeah. the door. Yeah, well, I always sat in the back. Not because it was an easy out, but because uh, we had class. We always had class discussions, right? Mm. And if you sit in the back row, you never have to turn around <laughs> to, to look at somebody. <laughs> okay, so there's a whole lot of things we can do, and um, I don't know. I think every teacher's made somebody cry. What is it that um, the rule in medicine? The first rule is do no harm, right? Mm, right. And then I guess I was watching. I was it ER or some a movie or TV show where they train doctors and the opening statement from their training doctor is you will kill a patient. This sounds like house. (laughs) Maybe it's house, right? Yeah. Okay. But I know that when I've been working with student teachers and I'm working with them and teaching them in like, let's say a methodologies class on the opening class, I always say you will hurt someone. You will emotionally hurt someone. It's just impossible not to. Mm-hmm. But I think as you go on and the more experience you have, you hurt less of them on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's true. So I think we work from the same perspective. You want to create a positive environment. And there's very concrete things you can do. But nothing, again, we have to emphasize, nothing is more important than walking in with that smile on your face. Um, and the other thing that I do, and this is, I do this religiously, is whenever I talk to students, I always squat down and make sure that uh-huh. my eyes level is below theirs, uh-huh. right? That they're looking down on me because we forget what it's like to have somebody over you. And mm-hmm. I find that really makes a big difference, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and so trying to create that very friendly atmosphere. But I also like to let them know, you know, I do run a tight ship in certain ways. Mm-hmm. It's a loose ship according to what you're traditionally used to, and maybe it's a tight ship in ways that you've never understood. For example, willingness to make mistakes, willingness to take risks. And the, maybe, the challenge is getting them to, to, to get to understand that, and that's what takes a few weeks. And I think maybe that might be a good topic for our next podcast, right, is how do we train our students mm. 
to interact in the classroom the way we want. And uh, we'll see. And I know that it's Sunday and I've been sp already spent the morning preparing for tomorrow. Right. In my own strange oh, way of God, preparing. I spent all, all day yesterday and this morning doing that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I spent a lot of time. So time. classes are starting tomorrow morning. So I need to get back to work as well. And um, I think it's a good time maybe to wrap this up. Yeah, I think so. And okay. uh, we'd uh, yeah like to hear what other people uh, experience and make mis what mistakes they've made, what successes they had in their first week. So yeah, please let us know. Um, the email address is two teachers talking, no spaces at uh, gmail.com. And uh, you can visit us on the website, which you I guess you have found already, twoteacherstalking.com. Right, and especially interested in what people, concrete things people do on the first days. Yeah, it'd be fun to hear that and share that. Right, and see whether people agree, disagree with what we do. How do you handle it? Ah, also, we'll toss it out to the audience. How do you handle the kid who's already sleeping on the first day? <laughs> or looking out the window immediately, right? <laughs> Luck, I didn't have that this week. This year, I didn't have any of those students either. Well, I, guess, year, I, guess it's, I guess this week, we can call it a double success. Right, but they'll <laughs> probably be asleep in the second <laughs> class, right? Well, okay, so this is Charles Wiz in Osaka. And Tony Silva, also in Osaka today. Saying thank you very much for listening, and good luck, um, Tony, with your second week of classes. Thank you. We'll take it. I'll need it. All right. Have you a too. good week. All righty. Okay. Bye -bye. See you. Bye.